0: Today we're talking about the future of trust. So who do you trust and most importantly, why? Modern society has existed thanks to the development of trust in centralized institutions. Historically, as the power of the state became more and more centralized, it became possible for us to outsource trust from individuals over to institutions. Today, for society to keep running, we need to trust in institutions that enforce the rule of law. But in this channel, we care about how these things relate to finance and banking, so let's put this into context. Let's say, for example, that you want to buy a house and you find a house on sale that you fall in love with. Now, you could just go to the person that's selling the house with a whole bunch of cash, asking for the keys and to sign the papers. But you also want to make sure that the other person won't run away with your money. And you also want to make sure that all the paperwork is in order. Conversely, they will want to make sure that you're not paying them with funny money. So what you do is then you go and you engage a bank. And the bank can then act as an intermediary, guaranteeing that the transaction will take place through a process called an escrow. Through this process, the bank receives your money and holds the property titles. And once the transaction is completed and all the paperwork has been signed, then it releases the money to the seller and you are the official owner of a new property. This mechanism ensures that neither party is tempted to run away with their part of the sale. However, it's a slow process, and of course, it generates fees that the bank is only too happy to charge to both sides. Since the credit crunch in 2008, Western democracies have experienced a crisis of trust in their institutions. In 2020, the British market research company Ipsos Mori carried out a survey where they asked respondents to what extent they believed that people in different professions were likely to tell the truth. The results show that most people trusted nurses. At least 93% of respondents say that they would be willing to trust nurses to tell the truth. In second place, people in the UK trust doctors. 91% said that they would find doctors trustworthy. The picture becomes more bleak as you look further down the list where only 44% of people trust in bankers to tell the truth. And even more shockingly, only 16 and 15% trust government officials and politicians respectively. But wait, it gets worse. Another poll done by the same company asked nearly 20,000 people globally how they felt about their bank's trustworthiness. 32% 32% of respondents said that they strongly disagreed with the statement that banks are able to keep their promises. 39% disagree with the statement that banks are open and transparent. And a whooping 52% believed that their bank would take advantage of them if they could this combination of declining trust in central institutions and the rise of trust enabling technology is driving momentum towards a paradigm shift now let's shift our attention to what the disruptors of the current monetary system are saying specifically i want to make a reference to a paper that is shaking the foundations of our current monetary system the paper was published in 2009 by satoshi nakamoto and it was titled bitcoin a peer-to-peer electronic system. In this paper, Nakamoto stated, what is needed is an electronic system based on cryptographic proof instead of trust. This system will allow two willing parties to transact directly with each other without the need of a third party. So we are approaching the emergence of the trustless society. In the trustless society, transactions will depend less on contractual agreements and more on self-verifying and self-executing code. This means that in the next 5 to 10 years, we're going to see the locus of trust shifting dramatically from centralized institutions to individuals and from elites to groups of people like you and me. So how will this happen, you may ask? Well, this will be achieved thanks to a bit of code known as smart contracts. Smart contracts is a funny term because these smart contracts are neither smart nor are they contracts. They are essentially just a set of instructions that are designed to allow an if-then logic. Basically, if event A happens, then do action B. Smart contracts essentially need to be able to perform three functions. First, they need to store rules. Secondly, they need to verify those rules. And thirdly, they need to be able to execute those rules. They are essentially secure in the sense that they use cryptography to stop people from altering records. They're also transparent as everyone on the blockchain can see that the contract is being used and for what purpose. They are also third party free as they don't need a middleman like a bank or a government to verify its execution. They're autonomous as they can execute their own code. And they are also accurate since they don't rely on the gray areas of code and the interpretation of language and the meaning of words. To better understand what a smart contract is, think of a vending machine. Vending machines have a very rudimentary type of smart contract that goes along the lines of if you insert a coin and press the button, check to see if the credits are sufficient and if they are then release the drink. If you're lucky, you might even get some change. So smart contracts are enabling a type of financial service called decentralized finance or DeFi. These services let people borrow and lend money to each other without the need of a bank. Instead, they use smart contracts and the blockchain to register transactions and to execute the code itself. There are already companies that are using smart contracts. Take, for example, the Dutch bank ING. ING created something called Finality, which is a blockchain-based trade settlement system using smart contracts. The Swedish government created a system that's being used to prove the ownership of land using smart contracts. So how could decentralized finance services and smart contracts impact you? Well think for example about your travel insurance policy. One rule in your policy may say that you as the policyholder are entitled to receive compensation if your flight is delayed or cancelled. This rule can be installed into a smart contract which means that you as the policyholder wouldn't have to rely on the insurance to hold their part of the bargain. If your flight for any reason gets cancelled or is delayed, that information gets added to the blockchain which immediately triggers a rule that invokes the smart contract. You receive compensation automatically and avoid the entire claims process and any potential friction that may exist. Sounds exciting? Well, perhaps. But consider the fact that everything I've said so far about smart contracts is relying on a pretty big assumption. And this is the assumption that to benefit from this new technology, pretty much every aspect of your life would need to be recorded digitally. For a smart contract to work, there needs to be a digital record of your purchases. That means that your travel plans, your daily activities, and other events that are relevant to your life need to be recorded digitally. Leaving aside the obvious privacy concerns that are associated with this, code errors still remain the biggest reason why smart contracts have not been yet widely adopted. To help minimize the risk of code errors, third-party companies are starting to offer code auditing services for smart contracts. This suggests that perhaps the trust is not being removed, but instead it's actually just being transferred from the individual to the code, and therefore to the coders. Technology is always exciting, but there are always things to consider before we run indiscriminately to adopt new innovation. For example, could distributed trust lead back to centralized power? Take Amazon, Alibaba or Facebook. They might have begun as ways to democratize commerce and information, but conversely, they have become centralized behemoths in control of our data. It is also true that most of us don't understand legal terminology. So does this mean that we will have to also, on top of that, grapple with understanding code? And perhaps most fundamentally of all questions, Do we really want to live in trustless societies where the magic dust that enables us to relate to each other is replaced by cynicism and distrust? Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe to our channel or check out our website at nordicfintechmagazine.com for more transformational thought leadership.